Deuteronomy chapter 31. We are in Deuteronomy. We're going to be reading Deuteronomy 31, the first eight verses. When Moses had finished giving these instructions to all the people of Israel, he said, I am now 120 years old and I no longer am able to lead you. The Lord has told me you will not cross the Jordan River, but the Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy the nations living there and you will take possession of their land. Joshua will lead you across the river, just as the Lord promised. The Lord will destroy the nations living in the land, just as he destroyed Sihon and Og, the kings of the Amorites. The Lord will hand over to you the people who live there, and you must deal with them as I have commanded you. So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, and do not panic before them, for the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Then Moses called for Joshua, and all, the, and all Israel watched, and he told him, Be strong and courageous, for you will lead these people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors. He will give them, he will give them to you. You are the one who will divide it among, among them as their grants of land. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Let's pray together. Lord, Lord, we thank you for this time to be able to come and worship you together. We thank you for this uh, opportunity to come and sit with one another and to hear what God is doing in each and every one of our lives. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to just come and be ministered to or to even minister to those around us. Lord, we ask that uh, this whole service would serve to encourage us, to build us up, Lord, to, to want to serve you. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for bringing us here this morning, for every blessing you have given us this day. Lord, we, we pray for all of our volunteers we have today for Sunday school, for the nursery, Lord, for uh, the luncheon after. We ask that you would bless each and every one of them. Lord, for those who are, who are going to participate, we ask that it would be a blessing to them. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been a good week. It's been a very good week. I didn't have the kids in the house most of the week. No, they're, they're having an absolute blast at kindergarten, um, which isn't necessarily a huge surprise, but the first day was a huge surprise. If, if you guys know my kids, you know uh, they're their uh, personalities, where, where Mia is a bit more of the outgoing type and will talk to you and will tell you what Mason is also thinking, um, <laughs> where, where Mason won't do any of those things. Uh, but I picked them up from school after their first day and said, guys, how did it go? And Mason looked right at me and said, dad, we had a blast. And I went, oh, that's awesome. Fantastic. And then I looked at Mia and said, Mia, what did you do? And nothing else, she went, everyone else took the bus. <laughs> Tears, like crazy. <laughs> so I went, but what did you do in school? I heard, I heard nothing. I have no idea what she did in school the first day to this day. She still hasn't told me. All I know is she didn't get to ride the bus, and I'm awful for making her, you know, be picked up by her loving father. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> but it was a fantastic week. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that all of us who have started something new, a new year of school, our young adults starting a new year where they didn't go to school, that's a weird feeling, right? Like to wake up and go, I don't have to be anywhere right now. I'm going back to bed. Anybody? I know you, please. But it's fun to start new things. It's also really scary to start new things. <laughs> Am I right? Who here is always super excited to do anything new? Anything at all? Yeah. I'm going to keep that in mind, you two. <laughs> Sometimes our new things, as we get into them, suddenly we realize, well, this is a lot like old things. And sometimes our old things start to kind of feel like, oh, well, this is kind of new. You know, that's like when the, the, the kids came home and I said, man, I've, I'm used to having kids in the house. This is fine. And suddenly they weren't talking to me anymore. They just went like straight into playing because that's what they've been doing all day. And they're super like enthused to come home and keep playing. And I go, oh, well, all right, that's fine. But sometimes our relationship with God can be that way too. Or it's something that we've had our entire life. It's something that maybe we've even been working on our entire life. And suddenly it starts to feel like it's not really a thing anymore. Or maybe you even go through a, point, a time of revival and you'd say to yourself, man, this feels brand new. Man, I live for those moments, don't you? I love going to retreats and all this kind of stuff. It's one of the perks of being a youth pastor. We get to go to, to winter camp, and I get to hear amazing uh, music and, and speakers, and I leave probably just as encouraged as any of the teens. It's a fantastic time. You see, because our relationship with God is actually one of the most important things in our life. It is the most important thing you can possess a relationship with God. Because it's, it's the foundation of so many things that we do. It's, it's the foundation for how we interact with those around us. It's the foundation for the directions we take within our lives. But even as we call it our foundation, it's still something that can be affected by many, many things. Right now, your relationship with God is being effective, affected, I'm sorry, by what you're hearing from me, hopefully, and hopefully in a good way. Tomorrow, your relationship with God will be affected by what goes on in your life. And because this happens, our relationship with God can suffer, can it? Where we can start asking God, well, why in the world would you let that happen? Or God, why in the world haven't you answered this prayer yet? Very quickly, our relationship with God can suffer because of the experiences we have in our lives. And because that happens, and because hopefully we're all very good Christians here, I know we are, where we look at that and we go, oh, but we got mm, to push through that. We really got to work on this relationship with God. We really got to try and figure out this God thing. We got we to 
edge him in just a little bit to make sure we know what's going on. And so we do some kind of weird things with our faith to ensure that our relationship with God goes the way we want it to. And maybe we don't notice how weird they are. That's what I want to point out to us. When I was a kid, I was a really, really big New York Knicks fan. Um, not really into basketball anymore. I didn't grow past 5'10", uh, so it really kind of uh, happened. But really, really big New York Knicks fan. Uh, back when they were good, uh, for anyone who still watches basketball at all, uh, they were good once. Just saying, 90s, Knicks. Uh, and you don't hear about them because there's the Bulls and they won everything all the time and it didn't matter. Um, and even when the Bulls didn't win everything, it was the Rockets winning everything. And so the Knicks never really got a chance. But they had some really great players on it. And I thought I was one of them. Right? And so while I'm, while I'm watching these games, I would sit in a particular spot on the couch. And if, and if the team started losing or they weren't playing well, I'd get up and move to a different couch and sit down. And, if, and if the team would start playing well, so I wouldn't move from that spot. Not to go to the bathroom, not to get a drink, not to, for nothing. I kept, track of the, I kept track of who scored what. I was doing like stats in the living room. And everybody thought I was nuts. But I was helping them win. That's what was happening. Right? It wasn't the three Hall of Famers on their team or anything that was doing it. It was all me because I was sitting on the right spot in the couch. And I'd tell you, if they'd start losing again, I'd stand back up and move back to the other couch and sit back down again. Does anyone else have experiences of this with their sports teams? Is it just me? It's ju I'm getting a lot of, yeah, it's just you. <laughs> if you've ever played baseball in your life, or if you've ever paid attention to baseball in your life, it is one of the most superstitious sports in all of the United States. There are teams that will share a lucky pair of underwear. Guys, and if it's a lucky pair of underwear, do you think they're gonna wash it? No, it's disgusting. Don't let your kids play baseball. That's a, that's a joke, it's okay if they play. It's a fun sport, just don't let them share underwear. Doesn't make any sense. But that's the idea. The idea is we can grab hold of some kind of supernatural power that will give us luck so that we can do A, B, or C. And in the same way, we try to do that with God too. This actually, this is something that dates all the way back to the very beginning of the church. Uh, for our, our young adults who are in my Sunday school class about church history, we talked about this at the very, very beginning. Don't worry, I'm not going to make any of you like fill in the blanks or anything, but you're going to hear some things, right? Superstition was a very big part of the early church, and it was that way because when the church started spreading out, they started bringing in a bunch of new pagan converts, and what these new pagan converts would do is say, you know what really worked at my last church? And they would bring that in. And so now we have this idea that, oh man, if, if we build a church where that saint died, there's some power in that ground. And you'll, you'll see some miracles. Or they say, oh man, Peter just passed away. Quick, go chop up his body so we can have an arm 
I'm not lying. That happens. There's body parts of saints floating around. When we took Mason to get his back surgery, it was a Catholic uh, uh, hospital that we went to, and in their chapel they had three relics while we were there. One was a, a rib bone from some poor lady who they said was a saint. So what, what does that serve? Well, there's talk that it might have healing capabilities. A rib bone. We do this. It is still being done. We have people who go to Israel now and they are being swindled, being told, I have a piece of the cross and if you give me $30, I'll give you this piece of the cross and you can put it in your house for good luck. It's ridiculous. It's an old piece of wood. But that's what we have. And there are many, many Christians who go along with this. And their whole goal is to grab part of God and hold it right here. Say, I'm, I'm going to put this little statue of a saint on my car dashboard, and that's going to keep me out of any car accident. Oh, I'm going to put a, a picture of this saint or Jesus himself up in my house, and that'll keep all evil out of my house. No, it won't. Because it's, in the end, it's just a little statue made of plastic. It's just a, a picture made of paper and ink. It's got nothing. But not just with that, not just with those things. We also, I call them magic words. We like to use magic words. We'll sometimes think, oh man, I said the prayer, so I'm good. I said the magic words, I'm saved. Or, or have you heard, heard anything like this uh, with books that say, how to pray to make God answer you? <laughs> That's magic words, guys. That's all that is. Last I knew, bippity-boppity-boo doesn't work on anything. Not in real life. We're talking about magic words. And guys, it even goes deeper than this. Have you ever thought to yourself or heard somebody say, well, if you do this, then God will bless you? Say, well, if, if I make sure I do this, if I make sure I go to church, if I make sure I watch my mouth and I don't swear, if I make sure that I do this, this, and this, then God will take care of me and I won't experience any hardship in my life. That's the same idea. You're reaching up to God and saying, I've got this part, and you're not going anywhere. You're mine, and you're going to do what I tell you. So do you see how ridiculous that sounds? See, this is how we go about our relationship with God so often. And I am as guilty, as it, guilty of it as any one of you, guaranteed. But it is also indicative of a disconnect between us and God. Let me explain this through. It's, a, it's something called attachment theory. Um, Nathan, if you got the picture, you go ahead. That's the cue. There it is. So attachment theory, this is something um, 
that is used as uh, something to describe relationships mostly between children and caregivers. Okay? It's, this is generally used for children and caregivers, but you can also use it for just about every other relationship you have. And I, and I want to make this, this point very quickly. Um, we are fluid in all of these things. You're not going to find yourself in one of these for every relationship you have. You're not even going to find yourself in one of these for one relationship. You're going to move around these things a lot. That being said, I'm also not going to describe them all in great detail for you because that's not really what we're talking about. I'm just using this as uh, something to, to exemplify what I'm talking about. If you want to know more about attachment theory, there are piles of books written, um, and there's a really big Wikipedia article you could probably just like, skim through real quick, and it'll, it'll teach you more than you really want to know about this. But as I said, attachment theory is, is a system that helps us describe how we are in our relationships. And so it is, it is based on what we think of ourselves, or as we might call it, our, our own self-esteem maybe, and it's compared to how much we trust the other person. Okay? So, for this graph, uh, going from left to right, as you're looking at it, left to right, on the very far left is a positive model of yourself, so high self-esteem. Easy way to describe that. All the way to the left where you would have like lower self-esteem issues. Uh, maybe you don't really think very well of yourself. Okay? And then in the middle you have the arrows going up and down. At the very top that's you're trusting others. You trust that person pretty well. And at the very bottom you don't trust that person very well. Now all of these go within your relationship uh, dynamics. Maybe Maybe the person isn't trustworthy, so you're not going to trust them. Maybe the person has given you reason to not trust them. There's a lot of moving around on this. So again, I'm going to simplify it. We're not going to go crazy deep into this kind of stuff. But you can kind of tell the bottom right, where you don't really have a great view of yourself and you don't really have a great view of the other person, that's not great relationships. That's a lot of hurt for everybody involved. Easy enough to say, right? But we're going to move this way over to where it says avoidant. This is actually usually where we're preaching from. Okay, where, where we have uh, a very high uh, self-esteem and we don't really care too much about the other. This is where you get the, the sermons that say, guys, you've got you to give God his due. You've got to get out there. You've got to trust God. You've got to do all these things. You've got to get your relationship right with God. That's generally where you hear a lot of sermons coming from. That's not actually where we're going today. That's, that's not where even superstition lies. Generally, where superstition comes in is the top right where you have high regard for the person you're dealing with and not so much for you. And here you're saying, well, I don't think that badly of myself. 
Come on now. See, but in this model, where we think well of ourselves, but we don't really, or I'm sorry, where we think well of others, but we don't really think all that well of ourselves, what we have to do in those relationships in order to keep that person in relationship with us is essentially trick them. If you don't feel like you are deserving or worthy of that relationship, you're going to do things in order to keep that relationship because you trust that person, you appreciate them, you want them to stay around. But you're so afraid that the second they see you for who you actually are, they're going to leave. That goes for child to parent, that goes for dating, that goes for marriage, that goes for jobs, that goes for every single relationship you will ever find yourself in. If you don't feel like you deserve that relationship, you're going to try and trick the person to stay. Well, what do you mean, Pastor C? Have you ever heard of somebody, maybe they're dating, and, they, and, and one of the people will go to somebody else and start flirting with them just to make their partner jealous? You ever heard of that? Happens. Have you ever heard of of somebody in, in a dating relationship, well, they will say, oh, I just, I have so many problems and I need your help and if you ever leave, I'll just be destroyed. Guys do it too. <laughs> we do things in order to keep that other person right in our pocket. We don't want them to see us because we are so afraid. This, this area is the hardest to deal with. It is so hard to deal with in a relationship that you want to go well. Because one person is forever trying to convince the other person that they're not going anywhere. And the other person doesn't believe it. Not because they don't find that person trustworthy, but because they can't get over the fact that they don't think they're worthy for them. And so the whole time, the one person's trying to convince the other that, yes, you can trust me. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay right here. I'm going to be with you the entire time. The other one's saying, no, you won't. You'll leave. If you ever knew me, you'll leave. So I'm going to hide that, and I'm going to trick you into staying. That is superstition. That is exactly what we do with God. We'll say the magic words and he won't leave. We'll go through all the acts and that way he won't leave. We'll, we'll rub the foot of, of every statue we come across of all the saints to get every luck and that way God won't let anything bad happen to me. I'm going to keep him right there in my pocket because man, if he ever knew. The whole idea of this superstition is about controlling God. And we have to ask ourselves, how exactly, even with all these things, how exactly do we expect to control the almighty God of the entire universe? Is that something we're able to do at all? 
What exactly do you think we could offer him in a negotiation? Which we love to use, by the way. God, I'll go to church this week, and, and so this week I don't get sick. God, I'm going go to go to church this week. I'm going to go to Bible study too this week. That way, everything will fall into place. What, what do you have to offer God that he doesn't already have? He created you. Coming to church does please him, but it doesn't give him life. Singing the songs here at church in full voice pleases God, but it doesn't require it for him to be able to exist. He's going to go on without us. So these kinds of actions, all we're trying to tell God is, I think you're going to leave me the second you know. I got, I got to make sure. I got to, I got to tie you somehow down. I got, to, I got to figure you out. I don't want to have to go through any of those things. I got to make sure you stay right here. I got to make sure you protect me from all these things. Because I, I can't handle that. I can't, I can't go through it. Can't do it. So guys, the, the last section, top left there, where you think highly of yourself and you trust the other person well, that's the goal of our spiritual life. That is the goal of our relationship with God right there. Let me tell you a little bit about that model. See, this model, it represents a healthy relationship. It's one where you love the other and the other loves you. It's where we will do what we can to serve the other, not because we're obligated to, not because we're, we're trying to just stay out of trouble with them in any way. We're serving them because we absolutely love them, and that's what we want to do for them. And the amazing part is you have full trust that that's what the other person's operating as as well. That they love you so much that all they want to do is actually serve you. Not because they're afraid of you yelling at them. Not because they're afraid of you leaving. Because they love you. That is full rest in a relationship. I remember when Alex and I were, were still a young couple. We had moments where I kept trying to convince her not to leave. That was me. Because I, I still don't deserve her. Please. But we had a, a full-out argument, and I remember the last thing she had to say to me was, you keep acting like I'm going to leave, and I'm not going anywhere. And it broke me to have that realization that she's not going anywhere. She loves me. I'm going to keep messing up, and she's going to love me, and we're going to work on it. As we're not there every single day, amen? We're not there every day. But my goodness, in that moment, I will keep coming back. I'm never going to leave, because I know she's never going to leave. We're going to fight. We're going to fight for heaven's sake for that relationship because we know 
how much we love each other, and how much we're never going to leave. And that's what we do with God. God is going to fight for you every single second of every single day. He's going to fight for you. And how do I know that? He already died for you once. So what do we need to do? What do we need to do to achieve that kind of secure level? And I, and I use the word achieve on purpose because I wanted to trick you. You don't achieve this. It's not something, it's not, it's not a finish line you cross. It's not a level you achieve. It's not, it's not the amount of money you put in the offering box back there, like the Scientologists say, that get you to the next level where you get to experience more of God. No. It's not actually something you achieve. It is something you work for. It's not, it's not a reward. You see, the first thing we actually have to do is to understand God's position in all of this, and he tells us that in Deuteronomy 31. He tells us it twice. As Moses is telling all of the Israelites what God is going to do for them, he keeps telling them, God's going to go first, and he's going to take care of everything for you. He's going to fight like crazy for you, and he's not going to leave you or forsake you. And then he turns around and he tells Joshua the same thing. Joshua, you're in charge of this. Do not be afraid because God is already fighting like crazy for you. Don't be afraid. He's fighting like crazy. And he's never going to leave. And he's never going to forget you. And I love that that is at the beginning of our Bible. It's right there in Deuteronomy, in the first five books. And guess what? It gets repeated very close to the very end, at the end of Hebrews, where the writer of Hebrews quotes this and says, and remember, God's not going to leave you, and he's not going to forget about you. So we get it at the very beginning. You need to know this about God. And we get it at the very end to remind us again, God's not going to leave you, and he's not going to forget about you. You can trust that relationship because God is not going to leave you. He's not going to forget about you. You don't need to trick him into being next to you or in your pocket because he's already told you, I'm not going to leave you and I'm not going to forget about you. You don't have to come to church every Sunday. Whoa. It's still a good idea, right? You don't have to hit all the magic words. You don't have to get every step in the number. You don't have to do all of that because God has already told you, I'm not going to forget you and I'm not going to leave you. So then the next step for us is trust that and start looking at ourselves the way God is looking at us too. So if you remember in this model, we already have a high trust to God. We know him to be very trustworthy. But because we don't really trust ourselves all that much, we're going to have to trick God into being here. Guys, I want you to understand how God sees you. Because yes, yeah, we're flawed. Anybody made a mistake yet today? <laughs> yeah. 
got a good head shake here. That's good. Anybody made a mistake this last week? Yeah, we're pretty flawed. Yeah, we're, we're, we're going to fail a lot too. Anybody fail this week? Anybody lose out on something? Like, oh man, I did not do that well enough. I had to apologize to my kids yesterday. I was a grump. But if you would have been a Nebraska fan yesterday, you would have been a grump too. <laughs> that I had to apologize to them. I said, guys, I've been, I've been grumpy the rest of this day. And that's it's not okay. It's just a football game. I'm not even on the team. It doesn't matter where I sit on the couch. I'm not on the team. <laughs> it's not okay for me to be a grump about that. So yeah, we're going to fail. But guys, I got to, even with those realizations, I got to ask, what does God think of you? Are you worthy? Our first inclination is going to say, no, no, we're not worthy for a relationship with God. God already told you. I don't care what you think of yourself. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forget about you. The fact of the matter is he's already come and died for you, like I said earlier. So that should tell you one thing. You're worthy for the God of the universe to come and die for you. So let me ask you again. Are you worthy? God's already said you are. Are you worthy for a relationship with God? Yeah. Yeah, you are. And you're, you're worthy of the most amazing, most beautiful, most empowering relationship in your entire life. You are worthy of it. God's already told you you are. Now it's time for you to understand it. It's time for you to believe that. Guys, again, that's when you come to that realization that, man, God came and died for me to tell me that I am worthy. Now, often we might even look at that and go, oh, man, well, if God came and died for me, then, man, what am I? I better be. I don't have nothing to offer that back. We think of it as a Christmas gift. Well, God gave me his life, so what do I got to get him in return for that? And we get this guilt trip. We get that horrible guilt trip. And we come right back to, well, then I'm going to have to trick him into continuing to love me. Guys, it's not the point. Go back. John 3.17. We all know John 3.16. Do you know John 3.17? I didn't come here to put guilt on all of you. I didn't come here to judge the world. I came here to save you. I came here to save you from your shame and your guilt. I came here to save you from all of your sin. All those times you messed up, I'm here to save you from it. No, you might not think you're worthy of it, but I'm telling you, as the God of the universe, as the one who has created you in a perfect way, that you are worth my love. Do you believe that for yourself? You are worth God's love. He tells you over and over in the Bible, you don't have to trick him. You don't have to pretend. 
You don't have to fool him into thinking that you're a good Christian and you're a good follower. He knows you're not. He knows I'm not. And he says, I don't care. I just want you to know how much I love you. And when you get that realization, my goodness, what peace. Suddenly you're going you're gonna to start wanting to do all the things that you've been faking. Not because it keeps God right here in your pocket, but because you love him because he loves you. You're going to want to come to church and go to Bible study because you love God and you know he loves you. You're going to want to start inviting people to church and to your Bible study and even to your house for dinner because you love God and because God loves you and you want them to know. When you have that realization of how much God loves you, man, that's going to bring you such joy and such peace. So this week, this week I want you to try something. Before you start your devotions in the morning or at night or in the middle of the day, whenever you happen to do your devotions, I want you to tell God, God, I'm not doing this because I feel like I have to. I'm doing this because I love you. When you're getting yourself ready to come to church next Sunday or or to one of your Bible studies this week, I want you to stop for a second and say, God, I'm not doing this because I have to. I'm doing this because I love you. Before you go to to school or to work or or anywhere else, you'll be around anybody else, you're going to say, God, I want to act out like you. Not because I'm supposed to, but because I love you and I know you love me. I want you to try and do that, and I want you to remember how much God loves you. Do things because God loves you, not because you feel like that's what he wants you to do. Or because, man, if I don't, I don't want to know the consequences. Act out of love. And lastly, I I want you to remember, I want you to remember what you are worth. If you take nothing else, you don't, I don't need you to remember anything about attachment theory. I don't even need you to remember that we were talking about superstition at the very beginning of this. I want you to remember how much you are worth. That we don't need to trick God into loving us because he already does. Now, we don't need to trick God into staying because he's already told us he'll never leave. As that's, that's all I want you to remember. That's it. Remember how much God loves you this week and see what happens. Come on back next week and tell me all about it. That's my hope for you. It's my hope for you this week. That's my hope for you today. Remind yourself every morning if you have to. Lord, thank you for a new day. I'm so thankful for how much you love me. Lord, thank you for, thank you for this breath I'm taking. It's reminding me of how much you love me. Lord, thank you for my family. 
they're a fantastic reminder of how much you love me. Please, for heaven's sake, remember how much God loves you. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for how much you love us. Lord, let us never forget that. Let that be the thing that drives us in everything we do in our life. Let that be the thing that drives us to do what you actually ask us to do. And Lord, it doesn't become a chore anymore. It becomes how we show how much we love you back. Lord, allow us to experience that joy and peace that comes from that realization. Lord, go with us this week. Empower us. Lord, block every distraction from your love out of our minds. Lord, we love you and we honor you and we praise you in all we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand for the benediction? May we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. All glory and honor to him both now.